Are you troubled by movie spoilers in the middle of a podcast? Do you experience feelings of dread when you're in the middle of a podcast? Have you or any of your family never seen the movie Ghostbusters? If the answer is yes, then don't wait another minute. Stop listening to this podcast and watch the movie. This is Diabolical, the show where four long-suffering friends dissect films' most dastardly schemes, then compete to improve them. I'm your host, Craig, and this week's movie is 1984's ectoplasmic emergency service comedy and legitimate phenomenon, Ghostbusters. So, peril pals... Pack up your group, get a grip, come equipped, grab your proton pack on your back, and let's get diabolical. <laughs> That's uh, Bobby Brown's uh, on our own rap from Ghostbusters 2. Then. From the GB2 <laughs> well, it's up to us, we've got to take it out. That means when we do Ghostbusters 2, oh. I'll have to do Run DMC's rap instead. Ah. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode. As host for this week, I'm the duly elected representative of the panel of peril. In a moment, I'll introduce you to the rest of the panel, who will compete against me at the close of the show in a bid to become New York's most kawaii kaiju destructor, as we each try to come up with the best alternative plan for the movie villain of the week, before we vote to name this week's most diabolical. As ever, I'm joined by three minions of Goza. Please introduce yourselves and tell me, have you or any of your family ever seen a spook, spectre or ghost? And I'll turn first to the best, the best, the best. (laughs) Hello, the best, the best, the best here. And uh, (laughs) quite recently... I saw something. I don't know what it was, but I can't quite explain it. Um, it's called a vagina. <laughs> walking <laughs> the dog late at night uh, in the pitch black down a narrow country lane, which I frequent both day and night. I just had a, a sudden feeling that someone or something was behind me uh, without mm. having heard anything or seen anything previously. And I turned around and there was the shadowy shape of a man, but it was so dark I couldn't see any features. And then I saw, like cat's eyes, the eyes glowing ever so slightly and just swaying very, very slightly, unmoving, just staring at me. And I just kept my eyes on it and backed away until I got round the corner and it was genuinely disconcerting and weird. I don't know whether I imagined it or whether it was just a trick of the light or something. But it really freaked me out. And this was Jeez. probably about a year ago, around about this time last year. Wow. <laughs> so you mentioned it to me on one of our little walks, didn't you? Yeah. I think yeah. A little while ago, yeah. By a little posh place called Manderley, like in the Daphne du Maurier novel Rebecca. <laughs> Funnily enough, a story concerned with ghosts. Yeah. Or well, that's that's a reference ghosts. everyone will, will be able to. Uh... Really get get yeah, to grips with. Yeah, I think you've painted. Uh, you know, <laughs> sure. Some listeners will be familiar with the film adaptation. I reckon that was just someone who'd got some glow in the dark contact for Christmas, and they were just freaking you out. Mm, could they be. Just leg it out silently whenever they see anybody coming past. Quick, yeah, quick, quick. <laughs> okay, Turner. I haven't written Adam because the D key on my keyboard stopped working. Okay. I'm refer no, to you fine. as Turner from now on. And also, this yes. show is now called Iabolical. Iabolical. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hello. Yes, it's me, the one they call Adam. Uh, yes, uh, nothing has happened directly to me, although I've had the heebie jeebies a few times about a number of things, but I can't say it's anything mm. in particular. But my grandma and granddad used to own a haunted hotel in Llandidno, uh, where my mum and my uncles also lived. And they all are absolutely adamant that it was haunted. They always say, like, the the second floor was cold and things like that. And then my granddad used to say about when he was putting linen back into the airing cupboards, he could feel somebody standing behind him. And when he turned around, there was nobody there. But the most famous one that my mum used to say was when they were sitting in the living room 
and they had a glass panelled door next to the the front entrance so the living room would be there and they had a dog and they'd be sitting around watching TV and then all of a sudden the dog would get up walk to the glass panel door watch something walk across and then up the stairways and track it going up and then once it's seen go up and then come back down and sit back down again yeah that's weird isn't it um, so that was pretty good uh, pretty a nailed on thing for me and then my uncle I think he said a few times he thought my granddad was coming to tuck him in at night and yet there was nobody there and things like that so <laughs> pretty spooky plus plus my grandma as well uh, as a nurse she said she saw ghosts in the hospital um, from people recently deceased and stuff like that so yeah, it's hard to believe that a Victorian hotel in Wales might be cold uh, yeah, but but yeah, but a, a, do- a dog, what getting up and watching something walk in the front door and then up the stairs, and then turn around and come back. Yeah, I've seen a dog bark at itself in a reflection. Oh yeah, yeah, a dog's bark. I've seen itself, a dog but... eat its own shit. So <laughs> yeah. I've seen a dog eat a cat. Dogs pig. are idiots. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they are idiots. They are, but still. They, the animals are the ones who are like freaked out by these uh, natural natural phenomena and stuff like that, aren't they? And, and ghosts, yeah. I guess. Uh, although I don't, I don't have any reason to believe myself because I am very skeptical at best. Yeah, I was going to say I'm sensing some cynicism, some skeptical vibes from Ben here, who lives in the mm. land of wind and ghosts. He does. So what yeah. about what yeah. about you? Never seen one. Never heard no. one. Don't no. believe in them. No. Yeah, boo. But uh, I have heard stories. My father-in-law, he tells a story that when he was younger, a, a family member passed away. And on, on the day they passed away, that night he saw an orange dot in front of his eyes as he was trying to sleep. Mm-hmm. And it just grew bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm. And for the next few nights, the same thing would happen. And he told his mum and his mum said, well, this family member... Their shrine is in, I forget where it was now, but where, wherever it was, Shiga maybe. Mm-hmm. If you if you pray in that direction, it'll solve it. And so he did, and yeah, he never saw it again. Wow. <laughs> He's convinced it was a it was a spirit of some sort. Mm. Yeah. Well, I obviously just laugh in his face, but you know, <laughs> I'm a cynic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've never seen anything myself, and I always err to the side of. You never see any cavemen ghosts, do you? you? Never see any dinosaur ghosts or anything like that. Yeah, but they—they're they're all living. They all live in caves, though. All the cavemen ghosts. Oh yeah, wow. all the troglodytes. Yeah, that's why, that's why, that's why you don't see them. <laughs> <laughs> but they tend to all be Victorian, don't they? I suppose you could argue that's because, like, the oldest houses that we have. But you know, whenever anyone tells a ghost story, it's either someone mm. contemporary or a little boy who died up a chimney. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've I've never seen anything myself. But um, my mum tells a story. So she used to live in a small flat in what she calls the the clock house, which is above a takeaway in Colwyn Bay that has a clock on the outside of it. And when she lived there, she said that she saw my infant brother playing with a little girl, and this was before my sister was born. But it was shortly before my sister was born, and uh, I think. That she she has said that she thinks that it was her, so a ghost of someone who's not dead but is yet to be born. <laughs> that pre pre ghost. That's, a, that's a new one on me. Take yeah, yeah. yeah. very unusual yeah. take. There's a lot of curry fumes was there at that time. <laughs> <laughs> that's before they took all the toxins out of curry. Curries was a lot more dangerous back then. <laughs> uh, made made it PC these days, haven't they? Curry. <laughs> Taking all the good stuff out. <laughs> now, as we are in our fifth season, woo, I thought it would be a great time to try out a new segment, which I'm calling I'm sorry, what makes you feel good? Thanks to the existence of Filmation's 1975 Ghostbusters. This week's movie almost had to go with a different title. But what was in contention? I'll share three alternative titles to Ghostbusters, two of which will be real and one fake. And all you need to do is spot the false one. So number one, Ghost Bangers. <laughs> number two, Ghost Smashers. 
<laughs> Number three, Ghost Breakers. Okay, so remember everyone, two of these are real and then one of them's fake. We've got to find yes. the fake one. Yeah, so let's start with Ben because he sounds confident. Oh, I'm not confident. I can't even remember the options if I'm being honest. <laughs> First option is Ghost Bangers. Banging makes me feel good. <laughs> Bangers, smashers and breakers. That's right. Bangers, Smashing smashers and breakers. Bangers and Yeah, smash, bangers yeah. sounds a bit like a, a sausage, so I'll say that one's fake. All right, so Ben's going with option one, ghost bangers. Adam? I'm going to say smashers because I think they'd all begin with a B. I think there must be something in that. That's good logic. And the best, the best, the best? Uh, well, I'll say uh, breakers then to to give us an even <laughs> spread of all the options. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Odds are someone's right, and it's, it's Ben. Ghost Ooh. Bangers oh, Ghost is the one I made up. Because I thought Ghost Smashers was humorously sexual. So I thought I'd make another one that was similar. Okay. Okay. But uh, I rejected my first option, which was Ghost Shaggers, because I thought that'd be too obvious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ghost fuckers. <laughs> Time now to delve into this week's film, Ghostbusters. Originally conceived by Dan Aykroyd as a futuristic sci-fi vehicle for himself and fellow blues brother John Belushi, the more grounded and contemporary take with which we're familiar took shape after Belushi's tragic passing. When the high concept was reconsidered in favour of a more budget-friendly option and Harold Ramis was brought on board to assist with rewrites. The writing team took double duty, portraying half of the eponymous paranormal investigators and eliminators, bringing in serial collaborator Bill Murray to take Belushi's spot. To round out the lineup, Eddie Murphy was eyed for the role of Winston, but when the role was paired back to make room for Murray's improv antics, it passed to Ernie Hudson and a legend was born. Coincidentally, when Hudson later auditioned to reprise the role in the animated series The Real Ghostbusters, it went instead to Murphy's Coming to America co-star Arsenio Hall, presumably to avoid confusion between the real Ghostbusters and the actors who portray them on screen. Despite little faith from Columbia Pictures, the film was a smash, both with critics and at the box office, where it became the second highest grossing film of the year and, at the time, the highest grossing comedy of all time. Beyond that, Ghostbusters became a cultural phenomenon, spawning a film franchise that continues to produce lukewarm sequels to this day. (laughs) The aforementioned animated series, books, toys video games, and Ray Parker Jr.'s catchy Huey Lewis-bothering hit single. Ghostbusters is one of the very earliest films I recall seeing. It became an early favourite and remains so to this day. But what did the panel of peril make of it? And let's begin with Turner. Well, I think, really, this is the biggest film that we all will have extremely fond memories of and probably wax lyrically about as well. Watching it this time with my sort of critical head on and stuff, it was like watching it again for the first time because you do put a different hat on when you watch these films for for the podcast and stuff. And it was, it was genuinely like seeing it again. Um, And it's, and it's just aged. It's such a beautiful film with a few little bits here and there, but that adds to the charm, really. I think it's a fantastic piece of filmmaking from the exposition from the start of how they begin and, and the introduction of the characters. Yeah. Within about 10 minutes, you feel like you've known them for a month. They all have a perfect intro, don't they, the mains? Yeah. You just get who they are instantly. Exactly. You get introduced to the concept of the film straight away, obviously. Yeah. You get thrown straight into one of the most terrifying scenes you'll ever see as a child. I, I've made a note about that. I, I don't know if anyone remembers this, but to give you an idea of how young I was when I first saw this, I got excluded from class in what we call infant school. So that's pre-seven. It must have been five or six uh, for recreating that opening library scream. <laughs> my scream so loud. I got thrown out of class and had to go and sit in the school cafeteria for to calm down for half an hour. <laughs> but yeah, very scary opening scene. I, I... Yeah, it is. But it, the way it, it pedals straight on from that into into their introduction, then back into the library again for the follower. Mm. To me, it's easily in my top 10 movies of all time. Easily. Yeah. Rock solid, 
never moves from that top 10. I'd agree with that. But this watching has made me love it even more. Oh, pleased to hear that. All right, well, let's go next with Ben then. Yeah, I'm in complete agreement with Turner. It's one of those films from childhood that it's just a joy to come back to again and again. Mm. And now, understanding a bit more about the filmmaking process, I can appreciate why that is. And it goes far beyond nostalgia, again, as Turner was saying. Yeah. You know, aside from the brilliant premise of four fun characters fighting ghosts, I think the world building is fantastic. Yeah. And there are only a few differences between our world and, and their world, but still they have to sell it, and, and this film does really well. Mm. And I think it's because it's quite masterful in its attention to detail. Yeah. yeah. And then you've also got the interplay between the four main characters. I could watch those guys just sit in a room and talk, I think, because the actors play Definitely. off each other so well. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, a lot of the dialogue is improvised. I mean, the script yeah. was obviously polished by Harold Ramis, but still, when Billy Murray came in, they kind of let him loose. And they're both so skilled, Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, that they were able to respond to his improv with their own. Mm. One line I would have sworn must have been written because it's so clever is when they talk about trepanning. Do you remember when you tried to drill a hole in your head? Yeah. And Harold <laughs> Ramis's line is, is is the one that's improvised there, and he says that would yeah. have worked if you hadn't stopped me. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> considering how much improv was going on, yeah, it's brilliant dialogue. Yeah. So overall, I'll give it uh it's a spooky, hilarious and wonderfully original film that you won't be cross you streamed. Oh nice. Oh, that's great. Lovely. And that's our five. Lovely. That's lovely. Oh, fantastic. It's funny that you, you spoke about the the subtle differences between our world and their world and that for me sums up why this film works for me and the 2016 remake didn't is it has this kind of integrity this verisimilitude it's true to itself it builds this world and although there's some wacky humor in it it's always kind of grounded whereas the reboot it's just completely off the wall the things people say are things people would never say yeah you know the hemsworth character is too stupid to be alive the stunts are too wacky and goofy. People getting thrown out of windows and shit. I, I think the reason this has stood the test of time is that although they, these were crazy SNL sketch character comedy guys, they all really put in this performance where they live it. And it, it feels alive and believable. And, and uh, I love that about it. I just think they understand that the best comedy comes from truth, mm -hmm. especially that generation of SNL guys. I think yeah. they really got that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if you look at some of the sketch comedy they did at the time, some of it is fucking off the wall. But for this film, I think they understood, or maybe Ivan Reitman understood and reined them in a bit and said, this is going to sell better if people can kind of buy into it. Um, which I think the, the original sci-fi version would never have, have had that feel. Mm. It couldn't have. And the best, the best, the best. What do you think of Ghostbusters? Has it stood the test, the test, the test? <laughs> I like Ghostbusters. I think it's good. So Ghostbusters in the Kino once, it was quite good. <laughs> <laughs> it was always a childhood favourite of mine. I had Ghostbusters coming out of the wires, books, VHSs, mm. action yep, figures, yeah. play sets, pyjamas, yep. fucking bedding. Yep. Yeah, and it like like everybody else has said, it's it stood the test of time. I think sort of grounding it as is like a, a working class sort of story. Mm, blue collar. Yeah. With their financial struggles and how they treat their job. They're just they're knackered at the end of their shift and right. they're overworked yeah. and they can barely afford before things get rolling to to get a takeaway. Yeah. All that kind of stuff helps ground it. The demonstration to Winston of how the ecto containment unit works and Ray's explanation of, you know, the laser grid, you put it in, you have to press this button, you have to press mm. this button. To keep. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. gives it this utility. It makes it feel mm -hmm. like a real mm -hmm. piece of equipment. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. again, grounds everything and the car, you know, having all the shit wrong with it. And he has to work on it for ages yeah. to get it into a fit state. Yeah. Like you said, the, the details in it, uh, they're great. We already talked about the car and how iconic it is. I think it's such a good design. Yeah, the, the fins, the mm. the lights, 
I like the one in Ghostbusters 2 as well, where they put the extra shit on it, like the hazard tape and that. Yeah. Chunkier, isn't it? Yeah. Tanks on the side and stuff. Yeah. But such a great idea to get an old-timey ambulance for it. Uh, really, yeah. really worked out. But I think the design concept throughout, how utilitarian everything is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The overalls, even, even the ambulance. You don't know what everything does, but it looks like mm-hmm. it's going to be useful in a situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like the instrument he uses in Dana's apartment the squeezy one is actually a real instrument. I think it's for detecting carbon monoxide or something. Mm. Sounds plausible. Remember hearing about it on one of the commentaries or uh, something. Yeah, the, I might yeah, be making a Peril Pals thing. if you yeah. know. Correct me. Yeah. I think the the lore of ghosts in this is really cool. I love the idea that Spate's catalogue and Tobin's spirit guide exist and that yeah. some ghosts have a humanoid appearance and some look like, you know, little like monsters. Yeah, like Slimer. That's really great. In the, um, I think it was fortnightly, the the Ghostbusters comic, mm. it had a ghost and spirit bestiary at the back of each nice. issue, which was called Spengler's Spirit Guide. With oh yeah, uh, I remember that. Yeah, every issue. Yeah, huh. I think the the montage in this is one of the best montages of all time, and the, another one is the one from Ghostbusters Two, where it shows just shows them in action, like going around the town, oh, going yeah. to Chinatown and getting the fish and stuff, hearing about them the being at the dance party. Yeah, the chat show thing is great, just mm. brilliant, and the music on that as well, really good. Oh, the Ghostbusters like the working class Batman essentially, but a team. Well, no, because everybody knows who they are. That's that's important. But they sort of the 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 void they they fill is a similar one to Batman. X-Men, and they they operate. They, well, working class heroes. They're, yeah, yeah the working class heroes. But they obviously they they're called to answer the the worries and the the, the screams of the citizens of New York, whereas it's Gotham yeah. for Batman. They use these high tech gizmos and gadgets, but obviously they're slaving away Fantastic to make ends four, meet maybe. and things like yeah. that. And, but I they don't have any superpowers, a... so none of these. Neither is Batman. Yeah, You're right. Yeah, they're university professors, so they're probably technically middle class. Yeah, I guess they have to, but they're still they're, they're eating Chinese, aren't they? With the last of the petty cash, they have no money. Do so, they are definitely yeah. blue collar types? Yeah. I think, despite the the degrees. Yeah. Uh, just a, a few pieces of uh, physical comedy in this that I really love. There's the build up that you were talking about when they get to the building and the crowds cheering them on. And then it cuts to them fucking knackered climbing up all the stairs. Just yeah. 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 Like, I... Where are we? Teens, I think. Venky on the roof having absolutely no fucking marshmallow on him. Everyone else is covered in it. <laughs> He's got like a bit on his hair. Yeah. <laughs> and just to say that the closing credits are how it's done. You know, this and Predator maybe best closing credits ever. Yeah. Just yeah. fucking love it. Yeah. <laughs> Getting to see the actors' names over who they are. There's something yeah. quite special about how it's timed. It's really good. And I also really like how New York is shot. It feels yeah. just like a different world at this point to, to how a modern New York film would be shot. Yeah. There's lots of interesting Gothic architecture, yes. real and constructed. Yeah. And the, the public spaces as well, I would say, are quite atypical for what you as someone who hasn't been to New York, imagines from New York, there's lots of green spaces. Yeah, mm. there's no Times Square. Yeah, yeah it's, mm-hmm. it's it's all places only a New York native would know. I think is what it is. Mm. Yeah, mm. and it just it's a unique experience, despite the other films in the franchise that have come after. Yeah, I like Ghostbusters 2016 and Afterlife, and I'm really looking forward to Frozen Empire. I think it looks brilliant, but I'm just a massive mark for Ghostbusters in general. Mm. Feed me it. I like bits of 2016. I think there's an incredible bit of improv between Melissa McCarthy and uh, Leslie. uh, What's her surname? Grantham. I don't remember. (laughs) Leslie Grantham, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Dirty dirty Dan. (laughs) Leslie Ash. He's on his webcam, of course. (laughs) Just sucking a finger. Um, and it's it's one of the moments that's actually more grounded, and I think that's what I loved about it. You know, it just felt tonally off to me and the cameos from the original guys were just dreadful i thought yeah i did yeah yeah didn't read that. afterlife the, for me was just not funny and that's no. what was really missing from it no it, it wasn't like it funny but... i just thought it was the same vein as the, the rise of skywalker it was just the yeah that wasn't funny at all same plot rehashed served up for nostalgia how dare you <laughs> 
it is not as bad as Rise of Skywalker. That no, is, God, that no. Slanderous um, and onerous comment. You'd have to go a long way to get uh, to that, to plumb those depths. Hey, hey, let's not say things we can't take back. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about the film in general. Let's talk in some more detail about our favourite aspects, sequences and lines. Let's start this time with Ben. I mean, there's so many. But this time, one thing I really loved and I thought just worked so well was when the Ghostbusters are freed from prison Mm. and they're taken to (laughs) Dana's building and everyone's cheering for them outside and it's this this great moment where they're being recognised for what they're doing. Yeah. And then they literally turn and there's the turn in the atmosphere of the film as the foreboding yeah. music comes and they look yeah. up the building. Ah, oh, it's just, it's fantastic. I just, it goes from this kind of moment of pure elation into pure fear. And I just yeah, think it's, it's handled so well. Somehow that's one of the best and most believable and scariest set pieces ever where the street collapses because it looks like a real street. I'm sure they must mm. have made one mm. out of yeah. concrete yeah. And, yeah. and moved it all on gimbals and stuff. I forgot to look up how some of the stunts were done. One of the other great things in this is the eggs cooking themselves on the counter, which I've never yeah. bothered to look up how they did it. Or I'm sure maybe I heard one, so I'm sure it must just be a, a, hot, a hot plate counter, underneath. The, hot plate, yeah. Yeah. Little things like that work so well. In that counterpart, there's another very small detail that just works so well, even though the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man was mm. created for this movie. You yeah. see Stay Puft Marshmallows Stay on the counter. Yeah. 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 It's just, yeah. a, just a lovely bit of foreshadowing. That <laughs> yeah. It's really yeah, typical yeah, of the film. Yeah. Uh, the best, the best, the best. What are the best, the best, the best moments of the film? <laughs> I'm going to say the opening sequence. It is great, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It instantly sets you on edge. You've got the theremin kicking in. Yeah. Which gives it a nice, even for the 80s, retro vibe. And just the simplicity of those index cards shooting yeah. up in the air. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think is done by mm-hmm. blowing air at them, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Such yeah. a simple gag. Yeah. But it, it's brilliant because there's so many mm-hmm. of them just yeah. filling the air. Mm-hmm. It looks quite spectacular. The book stacking mm-hmm. as well. I know they joke about it. No human would do it. But actually, if you went to a library <laughs> and saw that, you would leave, right? I wasn't fucking staying here. <laughs> oh, What's yeah. going on? Grandpa Simpson taking your yeah. hat off and turning strip around. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many times they had to shoot that scene because it'd be awful to reset all the cards. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's a God. lot of cards. Can you imagine? Yeah. I just burn the set down, build multiple sets for multiple takes, <laughs> and burn it down every time. <laughs> the, you know, in, in Venki's intro, he's electrocuting that kid with the gum. Well, mm. imagine that on every movie set, there's 18 guys like him who have to pick up cards and do all the shitty little jobs <laughs> or they get electrocuted. <laughs> You can keep your five dollars. I will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Turner, I I think that I would have a stab at what your favorite sequence would be, but let's let's see what you think it go, is. Go go on. No, I've, I've, I there, there's so many obviously to pick from, but then I made up my mind. Well, being our biggest horror fan, mm-hmm. I would have suspected that your favorite sequence would be the excellent chair possession scene. Oh yeah, yeah, that is it is very good. Yeah, I do like that bit. But no, it's mm. it's another big set piece moment, shutting off the containment system, and mm. then the the light show afterwards, and then the music as well that forms part of that. Uh, the, what's the name? Mick Smiley magic thing, and then yeah. it's just you know when they pull up outside the station, it's still sort of like a bit jokey, but you can tell the jokes are being made through sort of gritted teeth. Like, come on, you know we can maybe joke our way a bit out of this. Yeah, but it's dead serious. And it's like the most serious part in the film, I think. Yeah. And I think the light show and that still... I watched this on streaming on uh, ultra high definition and it still mm. looks absolutely gorgeous. I I loved it. Yeah, I've always loved that. Mm. I would say that though, rewatching it this time with a, an eye to what is my real favourite kind of sequence, for me, it's when they have to plead their case to the mayor, mayor mm-hmm. and all those other guys are there that have just these one-liners. They have like one line of dialogue and they're fucking brilliant. The guy who says the, the walls in 57 precinct were bleeding and yeah. the cardinal guy who comes in. Just such a great yeah. sequence from beginning to end. I love it. I had this single, you know, um, the Ray Parker Jr. single on vinyl and it, I lost the case to it at some point, but we used to have some vinyl like 
blank cases that were just kind of beige paper with a hole in so you could see the record label through this window. And I drew on it the Ghostbusters logo and I wrote on it, (laughs) I think it's a sign from God, but don't quote me on that. Now, what a fucking <laughs> dorky kid picks that as the line from the movie that he wants to write. <laughs> what, like seven? Yeah, but I thought it was being clever because he says, don't quote me on that, and I was putting that as the quote, you know? That's, that was the joke to me. That's what I mean? For yeah. a seven-year-old, yeah. let's yeah. pick that yeah. out. Well, you've met yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> Two things I'd say about that is um, what I noticed throughout the whole thing was like what you've just said is encapsulates what the whole movie is really, really good at is there's not a single bad piece of casting in it. Like you're saying, there's people with one line and they absolutely nail it. And it's like the woman woman at Lewis's party. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't do anything. She's there for like one minute. She's perfect. (laughs) And they just dance and that's it. And it's spot on. And then again with the the maid in the hotel and they boss it. What the hell are you doing? And it's like, (laughs) absolutely spot on. Every, every piece casting. The Dean, Dean Yeager, such a brilliant, he could have been the villain in, in like a, uh, Animal House type movie, mm-hmm. just, yeah. just perfectly <laughs> crusty old deep. Uh, William Atherton <laughs> yeah. is brilliant as well. Yeah, again, of course, yeah, proving why he is the best asshole in Hollywood. Oh yeah, <laughs> I don't know why he hasn't had a more prolific career after watching the two Diehards again in this. I was thinking, like, why? I can't couldn't get around it. I think I think maybe because uh, um, he was sick of playing an absolute arsehole in every single film. Yeah, but in. I would have just put him in so, anything in whatever he wanted to do. I would have just yeah. gone. I would as as an agent or like a studio, I would have gone right. What do you want to do? And I would have gone. Okay, you do that. I love his delivery of what is the magic word. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you spoke about you know the magic song there uh anybody yeah. got any favorites from what i think is one of the the best score slash soundtracks of the 80s it's quite a big mix actually when you look at the score. like i said in the opening yeah. sequence you got the theremin sort of retro style yeah you got quite modern jazzy stylings later on quite classical comedy stylings like boom 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all over the place, but in a good way, it, it all yeah. forms a whole. Yeah, good variety. Yeah, it's great. What about you, Ben? I like that one. It's one of the, the lesser known songs from it. it goes something like, Who are you going to call Ghostbusters? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you know that one? Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think of the score, I like the uh, the, the piano when they're in the, in the firehouse. Da-da-da. It's usually used around the firehouse, I think, that one, is it? Yeah. Yeah, there's the... Let's move on to our favourite lines, and we'll start with the best, the best. The best. Don't you save the best, the best, the best for last? Sometimes, but not this time. I've got quite a simple favourite line, which is Peter in the library at the start when they arrive to investigate the haunting, introducing themselves to the library manager. And he says, Dr. Benkman, Dr. Stance, Egon. Yeah, <laughs> it's so pissy and dismissive. It's very, very funny. It instantly yeah. uh, establishes Pete's character, yeah, and his jokingly adversarial relationship with with well the other two really, but specifically with Egon. Yeah, it's great. Next, let's hear from Turner. I think you might have this same line, so I'm happy to share it with you. <laughs> because <laughs> right. uh, it's one that um, you and I have think have mentioned a couple of times and it's, yeah. again it's right at the start and it's uh, Ray and it's like listen, <laughs> yeah. smell something yeah <laughs> <laughs> that, that was on my shortlist but I had a feeling you'd go for it yeah <laughs> yeah, love it not just that but the little piano between listen yeah ding ding <laughs> <laughs> fab okay, Ben my favourite line has been my favourite for decades. Yeah. And I just love it when they they boost up the proton packs for the first time. Do, mm. Ray, Egon. 
And then that's why Ghostbusters Two. It's Ghostbusters Two. Oh, is it? Oh, you have sullied this movie's good name. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. You've not even watched the right movie. Yeah, I haven't. And then my favourite in this one then is uh, is from the ad. I love. We're ready to believe you, and how they it's all slightly done out of time. Yeah. Yeah, little point <laughs> as well, like really cheesily. Yeah, <laughs> put on fake smiles. I didn't write it into the script or anything, but I only found out recently about this. They made a version of the ad for cinemas where they had a real phone line on it, and if you phoned it up, yeah. you'd mm. get a voicemail from Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd telling you that yeah. they were out on wow. a case and stuff. Quite cool. He ran, he ran it. Ivan Reitman did it to boost the popularity, didn't it? It was like uh, so after yeah. a couple of months of it being out, he, he yeah. put uh, put the ad out, and it was Blair Witch eat your heart out. Yeah. Uh, well, as nobody's mentioned either of these, I'm I'm going to tell you my my two favorite lines. My first favorite line, I think, is absolute fucking genius. When Venkman goes round to investigate Dana's apartment, and uh, he, <laughs> he he says to her, "What's in there?" and she says. Oh, that's the bedroom, but nothing ever happened in there. And he says, <laughs> what a crime. <laughs> Cute eye rolling. <laughs> and then very shortly after that, when he goes into the kitchen and sees all the fried eggs on the counter, he says, Dana, are these the eggs? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say the bit where he walks in and he t- tinkles the keys on the piano. That's right, yeah, boys. It's Dr. Vegman. <laughs> <laughs> That whole scene is just incredible. <laughs> and, of course, when he pulls the tablecloth off, the flowers <laughs> are still standing. <laughs> Quite often when we do these, I have to procure the film that we're going to watch. And I thought about it for a second, and I thought, I could watch it in my head if I wanted to. I don't need to stream it. Yeah. <laughs> like I've seen it so many times that I'm confident I could mm. play it back in my imagination yeah. without missing anything from well, it. Let's do that as a bonus episode. Think about Patreon. it. It must be the yeah. film that I've seen the most let's of any. Yeah. It must be. <laughs> I must have seen it over a hundred times. Yeah. yeah. Now, before we get to the competition round, if you're new to the podcast and you're enjoying it, please like, rate, review and subscribe wherever you can, but especially the Big Apple some snot-nosed little twat told us his dad said we're full of crap, and that's why we're going out of business. Let's see how long he stays in business. Prince. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking to you, Jason Reitman. <laughs> in Ghostbusters, primary antagonist Goza the Gozarian resurrects cultist Zool and Vince Clortho to serve as gatekeeper and keymaster to its dimension. Such that through their unholy union, Goza might once more breach the walls between worlds and bring forth a minor apocalypse. Thanks to fanatical architect Ivo Shandor, the site of this ritual takes place atop an apartment building in New York City. Ultimately, Goza is foiled by the city's unique paranormal investigation and elimination unit, the Ghostbusters, whose eager puppy race dance chooses brand mascot Mr. Stay Puft as the form of the destructor allowing the Busters to toast the 100-foot Marshmallow Man with a huge fireball that erupts from the Dimension Door when they cross the streams of their proton packs. But how did the Panel of Peril rate Goza's diabolical scheme? Was it a good concept? And how well was it pulled off, Turner? It it was all there for the taking, really, and it just happened, you know, it sort of the fates aligned that the Ghostbusters formed at the beginning of all this paranormal activity. And if it weren't for them losing their slots at university, if they'd made, managed to produce results, it was on a knife edge, really, I guess. So it was just unlucky for Gozi, you could say, and, and Shandor, that there was somebody there to do something about it, because who who would have thought that there would, would be anything standing in their way? Happenstance. And then the weird thing is, the gatekeeper and the keymaster are right there, and they're basically the, the two dogs in the statues, aren't they, or whatever, essentially, right. or whatever, these beasts. So they're right next to each other at the start, aren't they? And then yeah. they go off and they find individual hosts, <laughs> and then they go off away from the building, and then they come back to it again. Lewis running away ruins it. what they want to do, doesn't it? But yeah. I think the idea is that their two apartments are directly under the statues. Vince seems like a bit of a yes-man, doesn't he? He's not, he's not too clever he's 
He's very pleasant, isn't he, Vince Clotho? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's happy to tell Egon everything. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's great, isn't he? So I just thought he's obviously, you know, he's one of these people who's got to where he is, this high station of uh, of Goza worshippers, because he, he's quite happy to do whatever he's told and, yeah. and be, be a nice guy and stuff like that. And then he's like, oh, when he realises when the thing blows up, he's like, oh, God, yeah, I'm supposed to be doing this on I Oh, right, I better run. And that's when he buggers off. <laughs> Okay, the best, the best, the best. Uh, I think, to all intents and purposes, it's it's a good plan. It's just Goza's bad luck that the Ghostbusters happen to come into business what is presumably a couple of months before their plan comes to fruition. I'm assuming that like the cops and the National Guard would, would have been able to do fuck all. Yeah. So it's... Um... <sighs> You know, it's good. Good plan. Good plan. <laughs> Thanks for that wonderful insight. There, the best, the best, the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You agree, Ben? I do. I think it, it's a great plan. It's a very long time in the making. Mm. Goes has built up a, a legion of cult followers over presumably hundreds, if not thousands, of years. Yeah. And then when all that careful planning you know turning the building into a, a superconductor essentially so it's able to access the portal i think it's all good just very unlucky the timing and if it was in any other city there'd have been no ghostbusters they got away with it <laughs> so it's very very unlucky so i'm gonna give goes of the gozarian 10 florets of ethereal broccoli mm. a little bit stingy mm. but no bad well, i think um there's a, an argument that Goza creates the Ghostbusters by mm. it's like what Winston says about has it ever occurred to you the reason we're so busy lately is because the dead are rising mm. from the grave right and I think yeah. Goza's presence is causing that and it creates an opportunity the supply and demand that, that there's a need for Ghostbusters and that's why yeah you know Egon instead of thinking about the kind of studies he would normally like to do starts thinking about what if we did a laser grid and caught ghosts for money yeah that's a good point you know, there's always business in Victorian hotels in Clandidno, so... Exactly. <laughs> uh, and what do we think of Goza as a villain in general? Is Goza a, a credible threat? Does it feel like a, a frightening villain? I like the fact that it the, the tension, it, it ratchets it up all the way through the movie, and then, uh, you know, once, by the mm. time it dawns on them what's happening, then it's upon them, uh, and is a gigantic threat, obviously, straight away, and... And it is like they meeting a god, isn't it? When they finally meet Gozer and stuff like that. So I, I, I yeah. think it's, I really like that. Again, it's another one of these things that seems to be the key of the, the older style of filmmaking is is build up that tension and and reveal yeah. the big bad towards the end and don't just keep giving glimpses of it or anything like that. Or it does mean that she doesn't get a lot to do, you know, mm. before she becomes a giant marshmallow man? Yeah. But, what about the the physical actor Slavitsva Jovan and the the voice Great. actor Paddy Edwards? Iconic, really. I think. Yeah. Are you a god? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a great line. After it, always answer yes. <laughs> We've already talked about Vince Clotho. He's a he's kind of a nice guy. What about what about Zool as a, a villain? Portrayed by Sigourney Weaver, fantastic the way she, yeah. the way she does, especially when he knocks her out um, with something the and she's on thing. a bed, and yeah. Goes, <laughs> yeah, like that, and it's and like roaring and stuff, yeah, yeah, it's it's brilliant. You know, I wonder, I wonder yeah. if they were saying to her, maybe you should do this, and or maybe it was. I reckon it was probably Sigourney saying, "Well, if I'm supposed to be like this half breed of an animal demon type thing, mixed with human, maybe I should breathing should be different and things like that." Mm. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Also, uh, there is no Dana, only Zoo. <laughs> this is the part of the show where the panel of peril compete for the title of season five's most diabolical. Up for grabs is one point for each vote, which will go towards the series leaderboard. Goza and its minions orchestrated its return as a giant marshmallow man in New York City. But what would you have done differently, Turner? Eivor Shander 
is the name. Close enough. Oh, sorry. Ivor Shandor is the name. <laughs> Unnecessary surgery and architecture are his game. <laughs> Ray says it himself. He's either a certified genius or a madman. It's a fine line that Evo treads with skill. 55 Central Park West has gone down a treat with the residents of New York City and the governing authorities. It truly is a wonder of the Art Deco period. Shandor goes to the mayor and tells him this building is the first in a series of buildings that he wishes to create. The more the merrier, he says. Anything to get his name attached to them. The blueprints for the following buildings are less complex than Central Park West and represent a significant cost saving on the traditional designs currently up for tender. Impressed, the mayor says he would prefer his bribe in a nondescript bag rather than a sack with a dollar sign on it. (laughs) Shandor's skills as an architect are second to none. And by the outbreak of Second World War, there are a dozen buildings in New York City that bear his name and the symbol of his company, Shandor Architect Inc. With a picture of a giant three-headed hydra with wings looming over a skyscraper. Much like the personality and skill of Shandor himself looms over the landscape of the city itself. Almost synonymous with that golden age of the city. His company crest is plastered across the buildings In the entrance, the lobby, outside each lift, on the roof, you catch my drift. You could say that it's impossible to avoid that iconic visual. So much so, that when the Ghostbusters try to clear their head on top of the building, they see that famous image in front of them. One of the most famous Evo Shandor Architect Inc. that they've grown up with, and the images pop into their mind much like popping candy into a child's mouth. (laughs) So basically, my plan is, instead of building just one building, he builds multiple buildings and becomes synonymous with New York City architecture. And hence, everybody knows who he is. And when they see his images of his work, it's always got that particular picture of a three-headed hydra with wings on it standing over a skyscraper. So, like, when you think of Nike, you think mm-hmm. of the tech kind the of tick, thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, that's quite good. Yeah. Well, I don't think that uh, there'll be any challenges to that, will there? <laughs> Feels pretty <laughs> solid. Certainly not from me. No? Certainly not from me. <laughs> All right, then. That's pretty good. Well, in the extended lore, uh, Ivo Shandor also was the architect of the Sedgwick Hotel, where Slimer lived. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Well, then, let's hear from... The best, the best, the best. For today's performance, I shall be assigning <laughs> the role of the gatekeeper Zool. Oh, For my plan, my I shall require the use of a corkscrew, a 500 milliliter bottle of fairy liquid, lemon variety, a 400 gram loaf <laughs> of Hobie's Best of Both Bread, a copy of a key made in a small Timpsons outside a big Tesco, a waste paper bin, <laughs> a hammer, a cheap bottle of Thunderbird, a hardback copy of William Peter Blatty's novel The Exorcist, an ordinary house cat, a 1980s style <laughs> mobile phone handset, and some tinsel. Now take all of those pieces and place them inside the waste paper bin and throw it out the window of the car that we're driving in. That's my big twist, you see. We're already in the car. Yes, the car. <laughs> you know, the car. Hmm? Nah, the hell with you. Anyway, on with the plan. What's my plan? I don't know. I'm making this up as I go with quite literally no idea what my end point is. <laughs> so, Zool. 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 <laughs> Wearing a sexy little number. A sexy little number. Beautiful little old sexy, waxy, itchy, bitchy, orangey, dressy, wessy, flim flam, flooby, choo choo. We need to get you out of that and into a smart business suit and into the GBHQ when the boys are out and about, leaving Janine alone at her desk. Then bring loads of Chinese food in, then top up the petty cash tin, then let them just think about Chinese food. Chinese food, Chinese food. And bang! <laughs> Done. 
<laughs> so the the form of the destructor is what? <laughs> Chinese food. Just shit loads of it raining down from the sky and they all just drown in Chinese food. (laughs) What do you think is the worst piece of Chinese food that could land on you from a height? I genuinely think just a noodle with very light sauce on it. I don't think you'd be able to climb up it. No, a giant wonton. What do you mean you'd have to climb up it? Why would you want to climb up it? To escape. Escape from drowning. Drown in it. Not just one noodle, you know, a... Uh, a heavy like, rain of chow mein. <laughs> multiple. multiple <laughs> what if you got hit, just glanced on the side of your temple with the, the bone of a spare rib? Ah, ow. <laughs> he throws a spare rib. <laughs> I think you'd be alright with fortune cookies. You'd barely feel it. It'd just glance off you, you'd be mm. fine. Mm. So, right. as you might be able to tell, I was uh, making that up as I went along, and uh, I couldn't come up with any actual you ideas. You managed to, to disguise it very well, <laughs> I must say. Yeah, it's good, wasn't it? Artfully yeah. done. What happens to the cat? The ordinary cat? It goes in the bin. Goes yeah, in the bin. Oh, oh, well, I'm not voting for you. That's horrible. Yeah. That's horrid. All right, it goes in the Chinese food. Is that better? <laughs> yeah, much better. <laughs> That's the uh, you know the circle of life. That's the way it should be. <laughs> Isn't that where most born, Chinese cats go anyway? I have Chinese. <laughs> Return from whence you came. You sound like you're ready to counter that with your own plan. So let's hear next from Ben. Egon, Venkman, Ray, and Winston follow the secret staircase to the top of Dana's building. On the roof stands a huge sculpture. A tall kettle with a graceful elongated spout and a sturdy handle. Is that a... begins Winston. 1920s Art Deco coffee pot, says Egon, finishing his colleague's sentence as a smug smile moonwalks across his lips. (laughs) Beyond the coffee pot, the portal to Goza's world is already open. The Ghostbusters aim for the flat top, but to no avail. Goza lightnings them off their feet, as in the film, then demands they choose the form of the Destructor. Venkman tells the gang to clear their minds, but it's too late. A giant, boxy machine, embodying the practical and bold design aesthetic of the 1980s, stomps into view. Who thought of a coffee maker? chastises Venkman. (laughs) It's not any coffee maker, says Egon. It's a Gaggia Espresso, the king of coffee makers. And I couldn't help it. I love two things, coffee and technology, and the Gaggia Espresso maker is the perfect synthesis of both. The sounds of bustling New York fade into an eerie downpour of an otherworldly coffee storm. In the caffeine-drenched streets, hundreds of New Yorkers stand before the gigantic espresso maker, steam billowing from its colossal spouts. From their vantage point, Egon, Venkman, Ray and Winston exchange worried glances as the machine churns and groans. Looks like Goza's really brewing up trouble, Venkman quips. (laughs) The machine begins to pump out a river of scalding espresso, flooding the avenues. The spooky brew washes over the New Yorkers, turning them into a horde of espresso zombies, their eyes wild with insatiable coffee lust. The machine follows up with a barrage of giant coffee pods, each one exploding on impact like a caffeine bomb. As the Ghostbusters prepare to cross the streams to close the portal, the espresso machine unleashes its deadliest weapon yet. A massive steam wand, scorching everything in its path with superheated milk foam, including our four heroes. With his dying breath, Venkman, skin peeling from his face like the bloke (laughs) in Raiders of the Lost Ark, looks at his dead teammates and wheezes, Next time, let's stick to tea. What, what's the significance of that ending? Yeah. Just you can think of anything to write at the end there. <laughs> just very slightly usually, less hot. You, usually, well, yeah, you don't get the hot. Some... You don't get the hot frothy milk, and uh, well, uh, actually, they make the the water in coffee machines slightly cooler than tea because. Tea has a bit of flavour that you want boiling water to mm. take away, whereas coffee, you want it to be better. So 
generally let the water go down to about 82 degrees before you pour it. I thought you were just oh. a Ghostbusters nerd, but it turns out you're a hot drinks nerd as well. Yeah, if you if you're having even instant coffee, put cold water or milk in with the with the instant coffee first, and then put the hot water afterwards. It does come out better. Yeah. Anyway, my point was Ivo Shandor, he saw how much New Yorkers love coffee, and that inspired him, and so he he made a a sculpture of a coffee pot on the top of the building, and obviously that influenced. The Ghostbusters' minds when they were—it's brutal. I'll give you that. Scolding everybody. Okay, then I'll bring us home. I'd like to hear next from me, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get it. Very cute. It's whatever we think of. If we think of Jager Hoover, Jager Hoover will appear and destroy us. Parapsychologist Peter deduces that Gozer the Destructor will assume the form of the strongest psychic image conjured by the imagination of any given buster. Or perhaps, as the self-proclaimed duly elected representative, it was always going to be Ray's choice. But this isn't Gozer's first rodeo, and it has allies on our plane of existence. In the early 1920s, Gozer instructs architect Ivo Shandor to leave plans for a team of artists to construct a number of subliminal markers throughout the building, frescoes and plaster reliefs leading from the lobby doors up the many flights of stairs to the roof. As the impressionable Ray makes the climb, he subconsciously takes in the hidden patterns and suggestions that will later inform his response to Gozer's demand. Choose and perish. It can't be! protests Ray. What is it? asks Winston impatiently. Rounding the corner strides a writhing purple titan of ropey sinew with an enormous shock of wiry black hair oozing sex. It's the artist currently known as Prince. (laughs) An in-depth study of Spate's catalogue and Tobin's spirit guide by someone who knew what they were looking for would confirm that Prince was an immortal sexual spirit, who has strutted his way through time since the dawn of mankind. Rhythmically bobbing and peacocking down the street towards the building, the 100-foot Prince takes out hundreds of civilians, power-sliding over them with a powerful thrust of his crutch, attacking them sonically with a power cord from his guitar. As he reaches the church, he fucks it real hard. (laughs) Nobody fucks a church in my town, threatens an angry Peter. I have an idea, says Egon. The gate swings both ways. It's not the only one, baby, shouts Prince. <laughs> we should cross the streams. Cross the streams. Me first, bitch, cries Prince, flopping his cock onto the roof and pissing all over the Ghostbusters, shorting out their proton packs and electrocuting them to death. <laughs> the excitement is too much. And, laughing maniacally, the giant prince jizzes all over Walter Peck and the rest of the city. Vince Clotho will remember this day for many millennia. Uh, it's quite graphic, that one, isn't it? <laughs> First of all, when you start describing the, the imagery and then the kind of purple sinewy figure, I, like, yeah, I, I was like... imagined it was a dildo. I yeah, was that's say, what I, I, just, to I just thought it was just going to be a Johnson. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm a lot more innocent than you two guys, obviously, because I was thinking Barney the dinosaur. Oh, of course. Ah. <laughs> Pissing on them to death and then jizzing everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just thought about, you know, what happens in the film. <laughs> <laughs> just, oh, right. The, that the was exact same thing analog- with Prince. Analogous and... to <laughs> Marshmallow. Right, yeah. Peck getting just done. <laughs> so how the hell would they know Prince is coming? Oh, he's always been there. He's immortal. He's immortal, yeah. And right. um, Shandor got the artist that worked on the interior decor of the hotel to put in frescoes and reliefs depicting Prince. Um, and Ray, he kind of doesn't know that he's looking at them, but when he gets to the roof, all he can think about is Prince. And there, Prince appears. And, you know, crossing the streams, something that people do at a public urinal, isn't it? So I thought, yeah, right away, I thought, oh, piss yeah. you, Prince, you piss on them. And... It's only polite, isn't it? Challenge the right. person next to you, be they stranger or friend, to uh, yeah. have a little sword <laughs> fight with your piss streams. You don't even have to say it. You just start 
nudging it over yeah. and then just, you give them just, a look. Just, well, yeah, you just you just look over <laughs> the other side, don't you? And and look wink. at the Johnson. No, no. <laughs> then when they look back at you, like angry, you go across the street, <laughs> <laughs> and then it's understood. Was the cross the streams thing? Is that something that we've always done, or is that something that was inspired by Ghostbusters? Because at first maybe I thought you... crossing the streams could have been inspired by Ghostbusters, but then I remember actually uh, sword fighting. I think so. yeah. sword fight, isn't it? Yeah. I think Ghostbusters cross the streams is a joke about that. Prince right. in real life <laughs> was very short, though, wasn't he? He was only five. No, you're thinking two. of Reeves and Mortimer. <laughs> where he lives it's only wee isn't he it's his little wee he, romper may, suit you have to maybe a bit maybe a bit too wee <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh, Stay Puft Marshmallow Man isn't 100 feet on the bag of the marshmallow yeah. so he's 100 feet tall in this just because that's yeah, what size goes and wanted to be Prince was kind of lightly mocked though wasn't he for being quite short and stuff like that so. I think he would have that's why he would have been so aroused by being yeah. 100 feet tall he was 157 centimetres tall he was in a yeah. constant state of arousal at the best of times, but imagine <laughs> he's massive and there's a church there with its door just wide open for him. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't get turned on by a set of church doors being wide open? <laughs> it's, not, it's not the church doors, it's what it represents. Okay. Right. okay. <laughs> yeah. The sanctity of marriage. <laughs> Sticking it to God. <laughs> Some truly diabolical schemes there, but who will get the votes? First, we had Turner's Hydra and Seek. Then we had the best, the best, the best succulent Chinese meal plan. (laughs) (laughs) We then had Ben's Caffeinated Chaos. And finally, we had my Purple Rain. If we're ready to vote, let's uh, go around the horn and start with Turner. Well, I liked the elements that were similar to the elements in my plan, so I've voted for Craig. Woo! All right, the best, the best, the best. Who gets your vote? I have voted for the person who I think seeded the plan the best, which was Turner. Oof! Hang on, no one seeded it better than me. I used jizz. (laughs) (laughs) Seeded it in the non-dirty way. (laughs) Oh, I see. (laughs) Ben, who have you voted for? I voted for the Prince of Jizz. Prince (laughs) Charming. And I voted for the plan that I felt was A, the most brutal, but also because it used the phrase spooky brew, which really tickled me. And that was Ben. Yay, spooky brew. So, Gaz, oh fuck, you you got a uh. lovely beard on you. <laughs> so, the best, the best, the best. What has that done to the season five leaderboard? Well, now, in joint first place with three points each are yourself, Craig, and Turner. And therefore, in joint second slash third slash fourth place are myself and Ben with one point each. Wow. Ooh. It's really hotting up. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Well, speaking of things hotting up, next week, Ben is going to be hosting. So, Ben, what turd are you tasking us to polish? (laughs) Well, we're going to go for an altogether more modern movie. Modern movie. Only last year, we're going to be watching the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Oh, honor amongst thieves. And that wraps up this episode like a Mary the Mantis in a laser containment grid. Thank you for listening. And if there's something strange in your neighborhood, make sure you subscribe, hit the bell, and leave us a review on the very platform on which you're currently listening. You can follow us on social mediums at DiabolicalPod. Next week, we'll be competing to improve on the diabolical plot of Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Until then, remember, busting makes you feel good, and it's good for you, so please masturbate regularly. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a new drug.
<laughs> uh, Huey Lewis, yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the world's famous. I can't remember the words to it. I know, I know the song, yeah, very well, really. Ghostbusters! Wow, wow, wow. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Wow, wow. It likes ghosts. makes me feel good. Sorry, the cats have been mental. It's just like doing this at each other. On the hind legs. I've seen a ghost. <laughs> hey, the best, the best, the best, the best, the best, the best, the best. When was the last time you covered an ectoplasm? Me. <laughs> Why are you always picking on me? Jesus Christ. Because <laughs> oh, last, your reaction is the best. Oh, it got, it got everywhere. <laughs> your reactions are the best. The best, the best. 